Our scripture today is Luke 17, 11 through 19. Jesus cleanses 10 lepers. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leopards approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not 10 made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was not none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So my poem this week was sent to me by Judy King, sent to her by somebody, but I don't know who. And this is entitled Small Kindnesses by Danusha Lamaris. I've been thinking about the way when you walk down a crowded aisle, people pull in their legs to let you by. Or how strangers still say bless you when someone sneezes, a leftover from the bubonic plague. Don't die, we are saying. And sometimes when you spill lemons from your grocery bag, someone else will help you pick them up. Mostly, we don't want to harm each other. We want to be handed our cup of coffee hot and to say thank you to the person handing it. To smile at them and for them to smile back. For the waitress to call us honey when she sets down the bowl of clam chowder. For the driver in the red pickup truck to let us pass. We have so little of each other now, so far from tribe and fire. Only these brief moments of exchange. What if they are the true dwelling of the holy? These fleeting temples we make together when we say, here, have my seat. Go ahead, you first. I like your hat. So this passage out of Luke has always disturbed me. It has always made me feel like the Samaritan who says thank you is some kind of a saint because he says thank you, and the other nine are slugs because they don't say thank you. It makes me wonder if I'm the only person in the world who has missed the fact that the Samaritan would not be welcome by the priest to declare that he was now clean and could enter back into society. I also wonder if the obedience of the other nine doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, go to the temple, be seen by the priest, and then you can go back to your normal life, why they get a bad rap for not saying thanks, Jesus, because when they left Jesus 
they still had leprosy. They were made clean on the way. It's one of those passages that I really expected Adam Hamilton to do something with, and he didn't. So now I'm disappointed. But I don't think I'm going to change my conviction that the nine did what they were told to do and followed the direction of Jesus and were obedient. And the Samaritan did the only thing he could do. The rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans was an interesting rivalry because during the Babylonian exile, the Samaritans didn't go. So they stayed where they, right now, which would be, still be the West Bank. So, you know, it's still an area that is having their own problems. But they stayed put. So they believed in that time that they were the people who were pure Jews, never tainted by other cultures. People, the other Jews, some came back, some had intermarried, some had, you know, so they weren't pure. So you can understand the rivalry. But for Jesus to leave from the area of the Galilee to get to Jerusalem, you have to go through Samaria. And if you go around it, well, the map goes this way. So if you go around it, takes you out of your way. But there's a lot in this passage. They wanted to go and get food in a Samaritan village, and they were told, nah, that's not a good idea because we don't really want you here by the Samaritans. And the disciples wanted to call down damnation and hellfire on that Samaritan village. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way we operate. Think this through. But then the lepers show up. And is it a surprise when you're right there next to Samaria that there would be a Samaritan leper? Doesn't surprise me. But what do we do in our culture to keep people separated. Lepers were really in a bad way in Jesus' time. They were made to tear their clothes, and they were made to yell, unclean, unclean, when anybody came close to them. Remind anybody of anything that's happened in our lifetime? Anybody remember people where you didn't want to touch someone who had AIDS, which is not how AIDS was passed, but you didn't want to touch anyone. I remember a young man, his name was David, but I don't remember his last name, and I should, but I don't. This was back long before I went to seminary. I was running a youth group at the church I attended, and David's mother was a local pastor. And she and David took this little sort of dog and pony show to youth groups. David had AIDS. 
This was early in the AIDS epidemic. And David came and spoke to the youth group. And there were two parents who wouldn't let their children come to that meeting because they knew that this kid had AIDS. So they didn't even want their children in the building. And then they asked me afterwards, are you going to do something to make sure that the building is clean? I hadn't even really thought about that. They said, well, nothing other than what we always do to make sure the building is clean, which wasn't very much. So it was, you know, I didn't think about it. But my own daughter asked me afterwards, why did you hug him? Aren't you afraid? And I said, first of all, that's not how AIDS is passed. I said, number two, he needed a hug. And so did I. So it was one of those things that I just did without thinking, which I'm known to do quite frequently. I do a lot of things without thinking. Usually it turns out the right way. But I read this passage this week probably a hundred times. But I saw it from a very different perspective because we are so good at separating ourselves. We are so good at lifting ourselves up so that we can look down on somebody. Part of it comes from our accumulation of stuff. Part of it comes from elevating ourselves and thinking that we've got it all together. I, for one, will admit publicly that I don't have it all together, and I don't want to, because I've been told more than once, when you think you've got it, you've had it. Let that sink in. When you think you've got it, you've had it. When we think we know all the answers and we think we're the best there is, we're done. I had the pleasure of going to Purimspiel last night. If you've not had that pleasure, I highly recommend it, but you're not going to be able to go tonight. They're sold out. This is a, <laughs> a musical retelling of the Esther story in the Bible at Temple Beth Jacob. This year, they based their music on Queen. We will, we will rock you. And we were all doing it, all 200 and some out of us in the temple. It was fantastic. It was funny, but the story was told without too much tweaking. <laughs> and I thought, here are people, Jews and Christians, and probably nuns and duns as well, all sitting in one place, enjoying something together, 
And nobody was asking what your credentials were to be there. It was awesome. It was amazing and awesome. They will do this every year from now until forever. So talk to Judy. She knows how to get the tickets, and it's a wonderful thing to do. But until we start opening up dialogue with people who aren't exactly like us, we're going to find ourselves circling the drain more and more and more. And it's not just church, it's our entire culture. We are so fragmented. We are so pushed and pulled apart that it's hard for us to think about the things that Jesus taught us, the simple things. Jesus, in making his way from the Galilee to Jerusalem, walked, number one, for about nine days. And all of those stories that he told, all the preaching that he did on that trip, are the things that we need to remember. Jesus took the entire Ten Commandments and distilled them to love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Wow. Why is it we have to confuse it by making all kinds of rules about how we're supposed to love. We set this up so that we're the ones that get hurt. We're the ones that fail. I was surprised when I read in Hamilton's book about the 10 chapters in Luke that are devoted to this last week and the time that he went from the Galilee to Jerusalem. I guess I just never knew that, that it was ten whole chapters. Ten chapters with most of our favorite stories. The Good Samaritan. You know, all these things that we just rely on, the prodigal son, the lost coins, all those are in those ten chapters. And we don't talk about that that Jesus was telling these parables, telling these stories, to leave an impression on people, to be able to share these stories with the people that they were going to have to minister to. Jesus knew where he was going. He understood what going to Jerusalem was all about. We're the ones that don't get it. His disciples didn't get it. And now we're so jaded about Christian holidays that we don't even pay attention. We don't pay attention to this because, hey, we did it last year. We're going to do it again next year. All of the biggies, Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, Mother's Day, we do it over and over and over again so we don't think about it anymore. One of the things I love about Lent is that I can give myself permission to root around 
in the things that I may have overlooked. That I can spend the extra 10 minutes a day reading scripture that I might not read all the time. Bob Lewis had suggested that I read the book of Esther, and then he suggested I read it out of the Apocrypha. Those are the books that didn't make it into the Bible. But to read it and get a different view of Esther. And hey, I thought I knew that story. I remember reading that story a long time ago. Usually don't preach that very often. I don't even know if Esther shows up in the lectionary anymore. But I enjoyed reading it. All the intrigue, all the little stories behind the story. We were told last night that every time the name Haman was mentioned, we were supposed to say boo. Haman. Oh, come on. Boo. Like he's a bad guy. Not boo like I'm going to scare you. Gee. Duh. <laughs> so now you learn something. But all of that is so important to learn what it means to be church. Jesus didn't come to set up a new configuration of church. Jesus came to teach us how to love one another. And he spent all this time on his journey to Jerusalem giving examples of how that was going to be played out, how you know you are really loving someone. How do you know that love is real? It's when you get out of yourself, when you see other people for who they are, not what group they belong to, when you can see the heart that beats in every other person. When I lived on the reservation, we had an after-school program with about 60 kids in kindergarten to like sixth grade. And some of these kids were native, and some of these kids were Hispanic, and some of these kids were white. It's quite a mix. And every now and then, they would fight with each other. And sometimes it would get physical, a lot of times it was name-calling, and they always would use somebody's ethnic background as the way to really get it to them. And the person I worked with, Glenda, who was as white as could be and had long blonde hair, we always used to call her Glenda the Good Witch, but um, Glenda was she loved these children, loved them, loved them, loved them. And she would take them and you know, hold their hands, and she'd say, sooner or later, I'm going to make you cut yourself so that you can see that when you are cut, you all bleed red. Stop it. Just stop this. You all bleed red. And the kids would respond to that with, you wouldn't really make us cut, cut ourselves, would you, Miss Glenda? And she would say, no, but remember, 
you all bleed red. So the differences are superficial. The differences are really superficial. But how we really act and how we interact is not superficial. So when we think about these lepers who were outcasts, and we think about how the Jews and the Samaritans thought that the other was an outcast as well, and we look at our own lives, who are we casting out? Who are we holding up to say, I don't think so? Who are we willing to draw in and accept these people for just who they are? It's so easy to draw a line in the sand and say, you don't belong here. But who doesn't belong? Who is it 